welcome to the Happy and Human Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Desai, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Dinesh Mawani. We're a dentist and attorney duo and are both certified coaches who specialize in performance and success coaching. In the Happy and Human Podcast, we dive into the philosophies, strategies, and tools that help us live happier, healthier, or productive lives that lead to our highest successes, all while creating a deep sense of fulfillment and joy. Welcome to our show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Happy and Human podcast. I'm your host, Dinesh Malwani, and with me is Dr. Seema Desai. How are you today, Seema? I am great. How's everyone doing? I'm sure everyone is doing fantastic. I just realized are... we didn't have a live audience. <laughs> I know. It's all good. It's all good. But you guys are listening. We know you are. And uh, we're here with an amazing episode. Today's episode is all about refusing to be shamed. And we're totally going to get into what we mean by that. I know it's a loaded topic. And I know, Seema, you want to start us off with, with the story you've got. Yeah. So this actually happened to me a few months ago. I was in a store and I saw some pants that I liked. And so I bought them. And when I, I knew that they were too long. So on my way home, I stopped by my mother-in-law's house, who I love. She's amazing. And I was like, hey, mom, can you, can you hem these pants for me? And she's like, yeah, sure. Just leave them and I'll, I'll get to them when I get to them. I'm like, great. So a few weeks pass and she brings them back. She's over eating dinner at our house and she's like, oh, I have your pants for you. And so I pull them out. She goes, try them on so that I know if we need to fix anything. And so I go and I put the pants on and I realize as I'm doing that, that the price tag is still attached to the pants, which, you know, my my in-laws have a specific mindset about money that I think many South Asians have. They come from a different time. It was different circumstances. And so anyway- What are these, thinking, like $4,000 pants, Eva? I mean, 10 easily, right? No, they're, yeah. I mean, they, they were a good quality pair of pants, but I mean, I think the price was like 120 bucks. So I come out and I tell, I tell her, I'm like, mom, thanks so much. These fit great. So just so you know, I bought these pants on sale, which I did. I wasn't lying. I did buy them on sale. And she just kind of looked at me and she's like, okay, well, how you spend your money is up to you. It was so laughable in the moment, right? She, I just was like, why am I here 40 years old and still feeling like I need to justify how I spend my money on, you know, it's a pair of pants that I will wear I mean, it's not it's not a frivolous expense if they're clothes that you're going to wear. It was just so funny to to think that. And I was talking to my sisters-in-law about it later and they were like, "Yeah, you know." I mean, mm-hmm. we all find it we all found ourselves doing that at some point or another. And when I posted about it on Instagram, it was a story that people just kept responding to. "Oh my gosh, yes, it I mean, clearly was resonating." So I thought it would be a good topic to talk about. Like, what's that about? I'm curious, just if I remember how you described the story, she came over after she altered the pants, you tried them on, and then you said that you came out and you volunteered that you bought them on sale. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to know what, what led, what was the series of thoughts in your head or the actions that led you to feel to, to volunteer that piece of information instead of any other type of information? It's a store that 
she would never shop at. So it's just, there was already some sense of like, oh, I know she would never shop here because it's not how she values. Like that's not what she sees value in, right? I just word vomited that. It it was all about not wanting to be judged, not wanting Mm -hmm. to feel like I was inferior in her eyes or being frivolous or any of those things, right? We all want our parents' approval. My my in-laws are to me like, they're just like my parents. I've been with my husband for 20 years. And so as much as my biological parents are my parents, they are my parents. I wanted my mom to, to, to love me, which is ridiculous because she loves me anyway. Yeah. And more so in, in the really expensive pants now, right? Oh yeah. Um, Totally a better daughter-in-law now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you came out and you said that these were on sale and then she said, well, how you spend your money is up to you. Right. What did you make all that mean? In the way she said it, I knew she didn't she didn't understand it. She didn't understand the choice. Yeah. But I, in my head, was like, I knew better. She responded exactly the way I would have expected her to, which is yeah. fine, right? Like I was laughing about it, just the whole comedy of it. Like, why at 39, 40 years old am I, you know, like who cares? Big deal. Yeah. Move on. So I I'm curious. Let's let's game this out a little bit and have a little fun with it. If your mother-in-law had responded with whatever price you said, I can't remember, um, like 120 bucks or something, right? Yeah. If your mother-in-law had responded with like, wow, that's such a great deal. I know pants and these are high quality pants that easily you could have paid three times for. How would you have felt? Mm-hmm. I probably would have felt like, well, great. Cause I got them for even less, like yeah, even better about myself. Right. It's completely subjective. It's simply a circumstance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The number so- actually doesn't mean anything. It's just your perspective about it. Right. More so about your mother-in-law's perspective. It seemed like your perspective is what was driving everything that followed this, uh, this interaction, right? She did not say a word to me. She, you know, lovingly took the pants, lovingly hemmed them and lovingly brought them back. Yeah. And, you know, we were enjoying a great evening together. I don't even know if she thought about it. I don't even know if she noticed the price tag. Like there were so many assumptions. Right. in the narrative I had going in my head. Well, the defender is what I call like in my, in my book, I talk about the guides and the guards. And because the book is about, you know, it's talking to families, it's more kid-friendly. And so I use different terms for that. But since we're talking to adults, I call it the defender. And she comes out when she feels like particularly when I feel like I'm being judged by other people, or I might be judged by other people. That's when she comes out. It's not only with spending. I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to the story you shared about how you spend your money with parents or family members. And I know for South Asians, there's probably a lot of thinking that, hey, if my family knows that I have money or we Mm -hmm. are professionals, then they might expect us to provide for them, right? There's a strong obligation or expectation of you know providing for your parents as they get old providing for distant relatives and things like that there's a lot there to unpack and i don't think we, we want to get into all of that but the point that i was thinking about when it comes to feeling judged or having this defender mm-hmm. is that it's not limited to financial situations or interactions with parents i think it can happen anywhere i think it can happen at work i think it can happen at the doctor's office i think it can happen with your friends 
and in social situations, whenever we jump to a conclusion that is colored by our biases or stated another way, where we apply a very subjective meaning to what could be a fairly neutral or interpreted in a different way by another person. The cost of pants is a really good example because it's so relative. Someone in India, in like the Gao, probably would think 120 bucks on pants is a fortune. Yeah. Okay. Right. But, you know, five miles down the road, Mukesh Ambani is going to think that $120 on pants is probably not good pants that anyone should wear, right? So it's so relative and it's so subjective, yet we we approach a lot of things in with a lot of bias. Yeah. Well, the brain, you know, we're we're constantly attaching, like it's like a sonar, right? Like it it's always comparing. And the, the issue becomes are you even conscious about what you're comparing to? Like how do you as a coach, how do you intercept that and become conscious about whatever you're comparing or if this defender's coming out to play to prevent the hijack of following through with with an action like you know saying what you did or feeling judged or letting it flow through you and and coloring how you see the next few minutes after you feel judged the work i've done on myself has just been more developing that strong sense of interoception, right? And I'm, you know, I practice a ton of yoga and, and that's what we work on, right? But is when we are in a physically uncomfortable situation, right? The, 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 and when I say physically uncomfortable, what I mean is there's a thought that you're interpreting and it, it physiologically manifests in your body. And then either it feels good or it doesn't. And if it doesn't feel good, depending on the situation, it's, you know, the defender comes out. In this case, it was a pretty low stakes. Like I was, I wasn't actually, yes, I was hijacked in that I felt like I needed to prevent her from judging me, but it wasn't like a, I wasn't completely taken over. I was still able to laugh about it and sort of just sort of playfully approach the whole thing. Um, but like when, when people start judging my parenting and, and they don't understand why I parent connectedly instead of with punishment and consequence, like just that development of, Oh, my brow is furrowing. The mm-hmm. my chest, my posture changes. I'm acutely aware of this sensation in my chest. I know the tone of my voice. I've I've been told that sense of interoception is not one that comes easily to a lot of people, especially if you if you haven't worked on it from that light. But what would you say to someone who is listening and might say, "Well, you know, it's a little white lie. It's not a big deal. It's more harmful." To be completely transparent with someone who has a certain perspective or has a certain view on life, you don't need to share every detail about your life, right? You could have, if you would have, next time you learned your lesson, just snipped the, the, the price tag off the pair of pants mm-hmm. and that entire episode could have been avoided. What, what would you say to that? I don't know how to live inauthentically. I did for a long time. And I feel like when you don't align with who you are, that shows up in every aspect of life. Mm-hmm. And what essentially happens, as you and I both know, we both have a science background. Energy can be create neither created nor destroyed, right? So unless you shift the energy behind your thoughts and your actions, 
what you're going to continue to get back is more of the same. So if you don't want to be judged and you just sort of comply and you shrink down and you play small, that's what's going to continue to happen to you. And essentially, when you show up as not yourself, it's freaking exhausting. Can you imagine having to walk around living life where you're like, oh gosh, constantly on edge about, did I snip that price tag? Did I sweep off all those crumbs before so-and-so comes over? Did I make sure that my car's vacuumed out before I give so-and-so a ride? I'm not saying not to be mindful and to take care of your things, but you're an imperfect being. It's very shackling to live from that scarcity mindset of not being good enough or you know fear of anything. And it's completely liberating to be able to just show up at peace with yourself yeah. and then find out, you know what? It's all in my head. No one's yeah. judging you as hard as you are. I, I totally agree with everything you said. And you know, there, there's a concept called the integrity gap. And basically what that stands for is, you know, it, it essentially mirrors what Seema just said in that if you show up in life or in work at, in different situations as someone who is different than who you really are and snipping the price tag in an attempt not to get judged is showing up in a different way, right? And we've all heard the cliches about, you know, bring your whole self to work, be yourself, right? You'll, you'll find those all over. Just go to Pinterest or Instagram. You'll find tons of platitudes everywhere. But here's why this is important. If you continue to show up and yeah, sure. You can tell one white lie here and one white lie there. And just like having a piece of chocolate, you're not going to become overweight overnight. It's not going to make a difference, but it becomes easier to do it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And it becomes easier to do it for larger and more and bigger magnitudes. If you continue down that path, what happens is this integrity gap in that you start to disassociate from who you really are and start to show up as someone else. And at some point, you start to lose who you are. And not only is that in itself a problem, but you're using so much of your cognitive bandwidth. You're using so much of your mental aptitude in figuring out who you need to be in whatever scenario. With your mother-in-law, you're the person who buys cheap pants. With your super wealthy friends or fashionista friends, mm -hmm. you're the one who's got high taste and high fashion, right? And so you become sort of this chameleon that is changing for every different scenario. Right. And you're using up so much cognitive bandwidth, so much of your mental aptitude, keeping score of who you need to be, where and when, that you can't do your best work. Right. That you can't show up and be who you need to be for the persons you love. You can't focus on being creative or writing a book or for, for me as being a lawyer, like problem solving, being creative mm -hmm. or thinking about the next step. If I'm thinking about, okay, when I go over to my mom's house, I can't wear these fancy cufflinks yeah. or not that I wear cufflinks, but shoes or whatever. But Saturday night, when I go over to these, this group of people, I need to wear the fancy cufflinks because that's what they do. And you're always sort of in transition and never yourself. Well, you mentioned the lawyer in you. I'm going to bring out the doctor in me. That is mental dis-ease. And dis-ease leads to disease, right. right? This anxiety and this, you know, all of it, that's the root of it. When you're unable to be with that, let me be clear, that sense of peace and bliss, everybody has it. It's just whether or not you've connected with it. Yeah. So the more and more layers you put on 
between your true inner bliss, your Shakti, your Atma, your Roshni, whatever you want to call it, the more layers of inauthenticity or fear or delusion or these little white lies, it's more and more energy dysfunction. It's more dis-ease, which then will manifest as eventually disease. You can literally worry yourself sick. One thing I was thinking about is, are we advocating for complete transparency, right? Are we saying to people, you're better off by telling everyone how much money you make. You're better off telling everyone your health issues or, you know, just being this complete open book and transparent. Or are we saying something different? Being yourself doesn't mean you're word vomiting everything. Being yourself, mm-hmm. that, and that's so much of what coaching is, right? That's what you and I get to do in our client sessions is help clients figure out what their values are and how their actions are aligning or malaligning with those true values that they have. If you value, for example, I had a client Mm -hmm. who she loved being a mom and she loved being a doctor. And she found herself in this dissonance of like, well, if I stay late to chart and to, you know, do these presentations and blah, 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 blah. And then I'm now I'm like less time with my kids. And then I feel guilty about that. And here she goes in this cycle of the chicken and the egg. When I helped her figure out where are your values? Well, above all else, my values are with my kids, my family. And when she started to align her actions with that, it's not that she became a jerk at work. It's not that she, you know, became a perfect mom overnight, but she was able to figure out for herself how to set those boundaries and be completely okay with like, you know what? I would love to stay and help you with this but I'm going to pass this off to the next doctor that I'm signing out to because it's time for me to go home and and cook dinner for my kids or whatever it is that she was doing, right? Mm -hmm. She was able to say that in alignment. And so whether or not somebody was judging her, it never even affected her. It never Mm -hmm. even crossed her mind. Mm -hmm. And she was able to not own those other person's feelings and and actually make it mean something for her. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. So well said. So well said. And and like Seema said, you know, we're not we're not advocating for you attempting to solve any of this by just volunteering information at, right. without disregard or without keeping in mind any any confidentiality or personal issues or things like that. What what I think that is most helpful and it's something I had to learn is to not impute my biases and my meanings on otherwise fairly neutral scenarios. If there's another interpretation, or it could be subjective in some way, not to automatically ascribe that as what the other person is thinking, mm-hmm. or what I should be thinking, or anything like that, is just to, to let it be, right? So you meet someone and they come over and your house is a mess. I know for, for my wife, if the house is messy, I can't believe our house is messy or something like that. They might be coming from a pigsty. And they might think our house is clean. We all have this tendency to ascribe our biases to that person and then not question it, actually believe it's true. Or you might get an email. You might get an email and think that that person is upset. I would say, look at the email and look at the words and as objectively as you can, did the person say, hey, I'm upset at you? And if they didn't, they're just words on a paper. It might be the case where they are upset, but if the words on the paper don't say that, chances are that you might be jumping to a conclusion without further information. 
And the, the issue isn't trying to get it right. The issue is the harm that could come from jumping to that conclusion. Correct. The important thing, the more and more you learn to be aware, I call it the bridge of like, again, this, the whole concept of the guides and the guards is something I talk about in my book. But when you're in any sort of hijack, blame, shame, anger, guilt, embarrassment, even something as low grade as anxiety, right? Discomfort. When you're looking at it through that lens, that's what you'll see. So the goal is to create awareness for that and understand that there's other perspectives that may serve you better Mm -hmm. so that you can shift to a place where it's not that, right? It's more of the sage place of calm, peace, trust, love, positivity, whatever, what have you. And when you look at it through that way, even if they are upset in that email, you might look at that if you're at peace and say, oh man, sounds like they're having a hard day. Instead of ascribing it meaning to you, how you messed up, you might just be able to extend them compassion. Absolutely. You know, I'm reminded of two quotes. We don't see it. I'll butcher it, but it's something like this and you'll get it. We don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got it right. But, you know, also the Austrian psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl said, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a space and it's in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I admit that is easier said than done. But with practice, just like going to the gym over and over, you'll get stronger. With practice, what we're advocating for is recognizing the stimulus recognizing the thought response you're having and being able to then choose how you act and what what you say, what you do, what you do next, Mm -hmm. or whether it's better just to take a pause and do nothing based on that. But there's a chance that our interpretation is purely subjective. Adding to that, the most successful people I know and successful people that I read about, and I'm not talking about just finance, but think people that have done amazing things in this world. They take time to reflect and choosing to do nothing can still be a decision. That is, I think, one tool that doesn't cost any money. And mm-hmm. it might take some practice to get in the habit of maybe, you know, set a timer for five minutes, pick a time where, you know, there's people walking through your office or the kids are asleep or whatever it may be. And the reflection can be in any, it can be a journal. It can be just sitting quietly. It could be, can't sit quietly, go for a walk, but take yeah. some time to reflect on on your day, on your events, on how you want things to go as compared to how you how they did go. Powerful, powerful, powerful tool, I would say. The thing is also that I want to share and leave our listeners with, what we're sharing is not voodoo. And, and I know that each one of you is capable of doing it. I'll give you two examples right now. Let's say your best friend, you go over to their best friend's house and they say something like, you're so disrespectful. You're always late. You might ascribe a certain meaning to that, and you might feel hurt, or you might feel confused, you might feel angry. But let's say you were in Vegas, and you're walking by, and a random stranger just comes up to you. You know they're drunk. They're completely inebriated. And they say, you're so disrespectful. You're always late. Same exact words. Her response would be totally different. You'd be like, what a weirdo. Like That that dude is drunk. Get away from me. And you would go on and not have it bother you, right? Mm -hmm. Another example in parents, you know, my kid might say, either to me or my wife, that you're the fun one and you're the mean one. We don't ascribe anything to that. We don't make it mean that, oh yeah, I am the fun one or I am the mean one. 
we know it's a child and they're expressing how they feel in the moment. We're not treating it as gospel. We're not treating it as doctrine. In the same way, anything that comes up for you, we all have the ability to pause in that space and decide whether the meaning that we're attaching is one that'll service or one that is reactionary. Consider the source is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Consider the source, but but more so than considering the source, I, I would actually say is to understand that whatever is being said to us or given to us by someone else doesn't really have a meaning until we attach our meaning to it. Regardless of the source, the words are the same, but we attach a meaning that has, that is laden with our biases, right? What our family, our nation, our environment has taught us. Like if you go to Saudi Arabia, your nation influences what you think, right? Women can't drive over there. They have to wear a hijab. Our environment teaches us what to think. And our response is usually colored by what we think, and that is what we need to question. Reflection and not ascribing meaning. Nothing has meaning until you assign it one. So being deliberate and intentional about what meanings you're assigning and when and why and how. The third one I would add is we've kind of alluded to it, but starting to develop that sense of interoception. You don't have to have practiced years and years of yoga to, to start to create awareness for what a thought will show up like in your body. In fact, I can't remember the exact source, but the latest research I had a friend tell me that our bodies are actually feeling things far more than the thoughts that we're consciously thinking or even subconsciously thinking, because it's just constant sonar energy that we're pinging off of, you know, inanimate and animate objects and thoughts and other people's thoughts. And so starting to create a sense of what does that thought make me feel like and using it as a signal, a breadcrumb. If I if I start to see my brow furrow, it's a, a sign that I can maybe stop, reflect, and see if there's another way for me to look at this or yeah. choose not to do anything at all because I know that I'm experiencing an amygdala hijack. Absolutely. And recognizing when when you're triggered and you're coming into the, that defenders coming out to play, that's a good cue to uh, take a pause, go for a walk, motion, right? Move. Uh, mm-hmm. Because motion creates emotion. All of that will help you conserve your mental bandwidth so you can do better, you can live better, you can feel better, and, and really go out and be successful at the things you want to do. Any final thoughts, Seema? No, I think we covered a, a lot. So guys, we're always so curious to hear what you think of what it is that you're hearing, your experiences, implementing these tools as you go about your day. So be sure to write us a review, ping us on Instagram. We can put our handles in the show notes. And until next time, take care. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye.